0: It's time to make the dough rise, the financial podcast with Brian Doe.
1: Well, hey there, and welcome to another edition of Make the Dough Rise. Walter Storholt here with you alongside Brian Doe, Certified Financial Planner at Livingworth Wealth Advisors, serving you in the Lake Country and beyond with an office in Greensboro, Georgia. You can find us online by going to livingworth.com. Brian, great to be with you again. Did the house move
0: go smoothly? Miracle of miracles. We did a triple closing in the middle of a global pandemic, and... Somehow, some way, the credit markets didn't freeze up and the stars lined up correctly and we are in our new house. We are loving it.
1: Congratulations. That is great to hear. And we have a special guest joining us on today's show. We'll tell you more about Carrie Debs in a couple of moments, certified financial planner, joining us on the program as well. And Carrie, great to have you as a guest today. I heard through the grapevine that you were the one who actually picked up all by yourself brian's pizza oven and carried it down to the street to his new house is that feat of strength an accurate representation this of this is what happened?
2: this is not true <laughs> no truth in that i could probably not lift it i hear it's very very large so my my visual of this pizza oven is larger than life so i'll just uh, experience it in person as soon as possible but thank you i'm honored and happy to be joining you guys today thank you very much
1: but Brian, we did hear that the pizza oven uh, made it to the, the destination successfully, right?
0: We we had one treacherous moment where the uh, the forklift had, the, the pizza oven's 2,000 pounds, and the, the, we had a forklift oh came in, and he lifted it up, and he backed it up onto his flatbed truck, and as they were flattening and leveling up the bed of that truck, there was a flat tire on the forklift, and it was tipped, and there there was a moment I just had to Call whoa and stop them because I thought the whole truck, forklift, and pizza oven were going to end oh up on goodness. their side. But uh, you know, other than that, uh, you know, it we repositioned things and it it went fine. And th- so that's the uh, the the good news. The bad news is is we it landed in my garage at the new place because I don't yet have an appropriate setup or place to put it in the backyard. We've got to do a little bit of landscaping, but when we do. We will have to do a Make the Dough Rise uh, pizza party at the uh, New Greensboro location.
1: Fantastic. Well, glad that the move has gone smoothly and uh, now time to get the pizza oven up and running here in the near future. But it at least made the trip. That is key. Well, on today's show, we're going to be talking about some of the investor rules of thumb that you need to know, especially if you are an accumulator right now, if you are saving for retirement. That's what we're going to cover in part one of this conversation. And on the next episode, we're going to have part two of our Rules of Thumb mini-series, but we're going to be focusing on the distribution side of the equation. What happens after you've saved money for retirement and now you've reached that retirement phase of your life? We'll turn the page to some of the Rules of Thumb to follow there. But on today's show, as I mentioned, we're going to cover that first part of the equation, accumulation side of things. And of course, you're used to hearing Brian and I talk on this show all the time. We've brought in Certified Financial Planner Carrie Debs into today's conversation for part one and as well for part two later on. Brian, tell us a little bit about your relationship with Carrie, and I know that we expect great things today from her addition to the conversation.
0: Oh, I, I wouldn't bring her on if, we, if she wasn't going to bring the bring <laughs> no her pressure Carrie. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but no. Pre, uh, I have previously discussed on uh, episode number nine in our interview with Brett Danko the relationship between the independent advisors and the registered investment advisory firm that we're a member of, and you may ask why why would a bunch of different advisors want to to come together in in such a structure and it's really for things that are legal compliance it gives us a little bit of operating efficiency and gives us some scale so that when we go to vendors we you know we've got a billion dollars under assets uh, collectively so that that gives us a little bit more uh, weight and credibility, so that that's the technical side of why we are coming together in these in these smaller or mid-sized groups to form one entity. But the side benefit of it is that I now have this network of you know twenty plus advisors who are collaborators, not just competitors. Uh, and Carrie's one of those uh, people who is when I've got a question, I'm looking for some validation, or I just want to, you know, get a, an extra resource that I don't have. She's one of my go-to people uh, within Main Street. And I, she heard has heard the podcast and uh, said good things about it. And through conversations that we had, we've, we've come up with a couple episodes where she can give this a try. We're going to talk about some rules of thumb and uh, allow her to showcase some of her experience.
2: Absolutely. And uh, I will say that um with what Brian said, we are we are not competitors. we are indeed collaborators. And um I am honored and happy to join you, as I said before. but true story here first went over getting the introduction to Walter through Brian, and I distinctly recognized his voice from I'm a big radio listener for sports and news, my really, my whole adult life. and 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 my childhood, and I recognize this voice from, uh, I think it's the voice of the University of North Carolina basketball, Walter?
1: That's right. Seven seasons as the uh, women's basketball radio play-by-play announcer for the Tar Heels, and uh, you living in in the area, and also with your past experience. We probably overlapped based on your Notre Dame days and following their teams uh, continued, I'm sure. We've had some certainly some things in common. It's possible we've met before, Carrie, and we didn't even know it.
2: I bet, I bet it's a small world, and that's why I feel like I've made it to the big time here.
1: It's oh, very cool. Well, great to have you with us, and I'm excited for the conversation today with you and Brian. So let's get to it. As I said, we're talking about these rules of thumb for investors things we can follow, things we can count on in the financial realm. And on today's show, as we mentioned, we're going to be talking about the accumulators part of that equation, those who are saving for retirement. What's the big deal here? Why do we need rules of thumb to try and follow? And and can we bank on these things to begin with?
0: Well, that's a a great question. And I'm going to uh, paraphrase a expression or question that or comment that Ronald Reagan used to pose on the uh, political trail I'm not going to get political with it but if you want to research the original go go right ahead but the quote uh, that I've adapted goes like this the trouble with investors isn't what they know to be true it's what they know to be true that just isn't so and that comes to these rules of thumb, where a lot of people hear some uh, conventional wisdom, cocktail talk, beach talk—whatever I, I call it, different things—but they pick up magazines or you know mutual funds to buy that are in Money Magazine, or they're out golfing with their friends who have very, very strong opinions on. All of these topics related to investing and uh, retirement income, and sometimes they are correct in a technical sense, but they fall down when it comes to a personal application of that rule. So we're going to try and clear some of that up, to, up today so people can, uh, can avoid what we call the behavior gap.
1: All right. Well, let's dive into that, Brian, the behavior gap. I know that that's, uh, there's a lot that goes into that term and uh, that mentality
0: yeah and it's it's basically the I call it investors behaving badly historically when you go over ten year time periods and it does not matter what ten year time period you're talking about. if you compared the average s and p 500 index fund, you're probably looking at anywhere from a seven to eleven percent rate of return depending on which decade you're looking at and consistently, individual investors Will receive half or less of the actual return of a passive strategy, and this this consistent underperformance has been named the behavior gap by Carl Richards. He's he's done a lot of sketches and and drawings and uh, written books about it and speaks on this. So uh, I want to definitely want to give him credit for that name. But the phenomenon is the same. Uh, people get. Caught up in chasing the hot dot and performance, and uh, they focus on timing as opposed to time in the market. And uh, as you know, recent evidence shows, you know this is this is really an easy business, Walter. You just buy low, sell high. It's all you've got to do. Yet as we have gone through the pandemic, as of May first, we had the best month. As we've, obviously, we've rebounded off of a, you know, the, the corona crash. But as we've recovered, we have literally had the best month for stocks since 1987. Yet investors were predominantly overweight in cash, and they have missed it. So this is the type of behavior gap or investors behaving badly that we would like to address. So we've
1: got gaps, we've got problems, we've got issues, we can't, uh, you know, I think the biggest thing maybe to uncover right out of the gate here, Brian, is that buy low, sell high, if that makes sense to literally everybody to do, why isn't that followed to a T?
0: Yeah, well, and Carrie can weigh in on this too. It's emotions. I mean, wouldn't you agree, Carrie?
2: Absolutely. And what we're trying to do really with a lot of these rules of thumbs is to Try to minimize emotion because that's part of the key to a successful long-term investment strategy. So yes, I would absolutely agree.
0: And, and Walter, one thing that I found when buying this house and I, we were conducting that transaction in the middle of this, it's very hard to be rational with your own money. As an advisor, when I'm working with clients, my job is to get them to do things that they don't want to do or inherently don't feel natural and man, when the market's down, getting people to buy is hard. And that's why we do discretionary trading is because we, we can recognize that this is probably a good time to be buying. Um uh, we've got, you know, other analytics and metrics to it than, than just watching charts and, and the news. But, uh, the logic goes out the window when emotion creeps in. And for most people, this the money is very emotionally tied to their retirement, their security, their safety, and uh, we just want to be able to get them to be rational when uh, emotion sets in.
1: Well, I know there is a technical side and also then sort of uh, an emotional side to all of these things as well. What about on the the, the technical side as we talk about accumulation, so pre-retirement stage, Carrie? I know this is something that you obviously have looked deeply into over and through your years of experience as a certified financial planner. You know, what measurements or uh, analytics or I don't know, the that seems to be the buzzword these days, analytics in both uh, the basketball world that we've dabbled in and also on the financial side of things. What are some of the things that you lean on to help guide you and your principles for helping investors and savers during that accumulation phase?
2: So there are a number, and as you say, Walter, in basketball statistics, baseball statistics, there's been books written on it. There's so, so many pieces of data and and things that you can use. So there's so many, but there's a couple here we'll highlight. One that comes to mind that Brian and I have gone over a number of times is trying to simplify it. There's one that's called the Rule of 72. And this is a concept that you don't even have to be really into numbers to understand it, but if we can break it down for you. I don't know who it was at some point came up with this rule. And it's based on the fact that we look at, what is the uh, expected return on your portfolio? So conceivably, if you're investing in, in stocks predominantly, you're going to have a higher expected return. That's um, pretty much a definition. And if you're in cash and, and say bonds predominantly, anybody who's bought CDs knows that the rate of return is, is on the lower side. So you can take 72 and divide it by the expected return. And that comes out with the number of years that you can expect to double your money. So very conventional expected return for a portfolio is is about, say, seven to eight percent. Divide 72 by 7.2 percent and you get 10 years. So you can expect to double your money in 10 years. Probably a lot of people have heard that they can expect to double their money in 10 years. That's been a rule of thumb for a long time, but they had no idea why. So if you're that CD buyer, for example, and you're just kind of ticking along and you're making, you know, your 2%, if you divide 72 by 2, think it's 36. That's how many years it would take for you to double your You'll money. You'll be waiting a while. 36. <laughs> You'd be waiting a while. So if that is is a clear way to, you know, put the numbers into something basic, but Brian has some great examples where he actually translates this into people to show you how many doubles that you can expect to have. So, Brian, I know you explain that part a little better than I do.
0: Yeah, and I, I looked at this from the the standpoint of well, I've got a 14 year old daughter, and uh, I was trying to teach her. She was working on her algebra, and I was we we were showing her exponents, and I tried to teach her you know a, a exponential growth curve and and the uh, math behind that. Well, she's 14, so she has 51 years until retirement. So we'll we'll use some new math and we're just gonna round that off. And seven times seven is forty-nine. So that's pretty close to fifty-one. She has seven doublings if she were to invest a dollar today. Whereas I I'm I'm fifty-three, and if I want to retire when I'm well, let's say sixty-seven, then that's that gives me two doublings. So I need to have a lot more money to get to my, you know, to a million or to you know, whatever number you're trying to achieve. And so the, the point is, starting early gives you more doublings, and it's far more fun to get those last couple of doublings of some big numbers than it is that, that first doubling. Now, really, uh, and th- this is an actual case that came up this past week, uh, Walter. I had a client. Who was gifted some Procter and Gamble shares in 1970 or 1971. And they, they'd held it ever since. This was something that came it had some sentimental value to it. It came from a grandparent. And it had appreciated to the point where it was, I think it was about a thirty thousand dollar position. And that did not count all of the dividends that they had received from the stock. This was just the price appreciation. The position was put into a charitable strategy called a donor advised fund topic for another day. But the point is the accountant was calling me for the cost basis of this contribution because you get a tax deduction for it. And I texted her back and I said it was $200. And so she took the $200 times the number of shares and came up with a cost basis that was higher than the donation value. Well, that would be the absolutely wrong thing to do with a donor-advised fund. And I said, no, no. I said, that is not the cost basis per share. That is the total cost basis. This position had compounded for 50 years. And then if you'll bear with me, seven doublings, Okay, $200 becomes $400 in the first doubling. The second doubling, it becomes $800, $1,600, $3,200, $6,400 by doubling 5, 12800 and let me use a little bit of new math and round that up to 13, $26,000 over that time period. So $200 can become $26,000 using this rule of thumb with a 10% rate of return. And even with an accountant who deals with this and and knows and understands this, I wrote back and I said, that is the power of compounding over 50 years. And in all caps, she just wrote back, wow, (laughs) exclamation mark.
2: So powerful stuff. And part, I'll I'll point to two things that Brian just said. And one of them was that um, the power of compounding, for especially for young people, they have so many more. So Brian's daughter has so many more uh, years to, to use that power of compounding. And secondly, is that the money was more or less left in this position. It was not traded around or trying to do market timing. It was literally just there. And I would emphasize that that's part of where we try to minimize the emotions and keep something kind of steady and just there.
1: So one of these big rules of thumb in the accumulation world, in this pre-retiree world, is that we can expect that money to double based on that rule of 72. And this is one of those rules of thumb that we can definitely keep in the quiver. It's, it's pure math. There's, there's no changing the rule of 72. It's just a math equation. And that's kind of comforting to know because I know some of the rules that we may cover over the next little bit, they have a lot more it depends and flexibilities and maybe that's an outdated rule. They have a little bit more like gotchas in them. So it's nice to start one off with a solid, nice rule of 72.
0: Yeah, the, the math on that is, is very solid. I will say that in the case I gave you, security selection is important because they were also gifted shares of General Motors at the same time. And roughly the same dollar amount. And I don't know how many bankruptcies and defaults General Motors has been through, but that particular investment did not fare near as well as the other. But that's a lesson in diversification.
1: All right. So we have the rule of 72 as our first rule of thumb to cover on today's show for accumulators and savers of retirement funds. What about the next rule of thumb? The emergency fund, I know, is an important conversation that we need to have. And kind of the old standby question, I'm sure that you both get a lot from folks is, all right, just how much should I have set aside in an emergency fund? And that answer seems to always kind of depend on who you ask. And I don't know, maybe the thinking here has changed given the coronavirus and the situation that we've just gone through. Perhaps I wouldn't think you would uh, decrease the amount you suggest people have set aside. Maybe it's even increased. What about the emergency fund? Is there a math part involved here as well, in addition to kind of the emotional side?
0: Yeah, I think uh, the, the math is real easy on this, and that is look at your income sources, and if one or more of them goes away, you know, how much do you need to Pay the bills, you know, pay your fixed costs, and it doesn't have to be a number that funds your discretionary spending and and extras. But just at a base level, if you want to make sure you pay the rent, pay the bills, uh, not default on any loans and things like that. Some people will say three months, some people will say six months. That's probably the most common one that I hear. Uh, some people may f- feel more more comfortable with a year's worth, but at some point now, now you're you're sitting on too much cash, and now that rule of seventy two is is not working to your favor. So um, six month I hear a lot, but as we have watched here lately, people are losing jobs, uh, freelancers. You get a lot of the millennial population are are doing multiple gigs or part time work here and there, and so you really need to look at what incomes could go away and if they did go away, how long would it take you to replace that? Well, whatever that number is for you, multiply that by your your fixed cost and that becomes your emergency fund. So, you know, I think I think six months is a is a minimum, Carrie?
2: This is undoubtedly my favorite rule of thumb. Undoubtedly, and probably the most important and you can call it an emergency fund. Some people like to call it a rainy day fund. It's not technically a slush fund, but I like rainy day or emergency fund. And it's entirely necessary for, unfortunately, one reason that we've all found out just recently with the coronavirus. And we have people who own their own businesses. We have people who are employees of businesses who have had to be furloughed. They've been asked by their employers to be furloughed and, you know now they're on unemployment, which is probably less than in most cases far less than they were making. So having an emergency fund is so so critical, but also for other reasons outside of what we're experiencing now. Uh, for example, you know, a family member could come to you and and ask you for something, or you may need to you know come off the work line for for some period of time for a reason re- related um, to a move or. So if you find yourself either out of work or making less or making a transition to a new job, and all of a sudden you do not have income, how are you going to pay your bills? Um, You still have, you know, expenses for your life. So I'll sit down with people right up front. And this is for clients who seemingly make a lot of money and have way more than they'll ever need. We still sit down, we understand what they're spending, doesn't need to be to the penny, but the major categories as close as we can get as to what they're spending on a monthly basis, which then translates into annual amount. But these monthly numbers, so if you are going to have six months of expenses on hand, we need to know how much you're spending each month. If you have one wage earner, it does, in my opinion, make more sense to have at least nine or even 12 months in this emergency fund. If there's two wage earners, then you know if one person's out of work, the other is still earning. So that could be six months could be comfortable. And this is an amount, um, importantly, that is kept in cash. As difficult as that is for some people to look at, a significant amount of money in cash, it's not budging. It's not going anywhere. So I find this to be, you know, very helpful, really eye-opening for people also to understand how much they spend on a monthly basis.
1: Yeah, you don't want to be investing that money that's in uh, in the emergency fund because right when you potentially need that, if it happened to line up with like the coronavirus situation, it got a pretty big, you know, chunk of it possibly, you know, lopped off right before you need it. So that's not going to help anybody. So remember to keep those things in cash. exactly. Yeah,
0: and I think if your fallback position is that you know if you're just out of college and you can still go live in a relative's basement and camp out and get your expenses super low, you know, that that's an option. But with uh, three kids, two parakeets, and a dog, I don't think anybody's going <laughs> to let me move into their basement. So my emergency fund needs to be a little bit bigger.
1: Our emergency fund and our emergency plans adjust a little bit as we get more and more adult in the world. So it's <laughs> a good, exactly. uh, good comparison as well. All right, two rules of thumb down, the rule of 72, and then those rules surrounding emergency funds, all great guidance to make sure we cover on today's show. Third rule of thumb, buy on the dips. And this is a little bit of what we were alluding to earlier, right? The buy low, sell high mentality.
2: Yes. And again, this comes down to, I think most people listening to this have probably heard of Warren Buffett. Um, you know, he he's a a long long long-term investor and he has a saying um, to be greedy when everyone around you is fearful but at the same time to be fearful when everyone around you is greedy and that goes into part of the concept behind buying on the dips if you've you sat down with someone and you know you've defined your goals you have short-term goals you have intermediate term goals you have long-term goals and none of those goals are going to go away you know just by sitting around. So you, you have a plan on, on how to accumulate your savings and make them work as hard as you can. And you have to be ready to buy on a regular basis. And oftentimes that means, you know, buying regularly throughout your, your period of time of saving. So we've heard of dollar cost averaging. Very simply, that means you're buying on a regular schedule that's predetermined. And yes, that will involve often buying on the dips. So when things are going down, we don't want to get overly fearful. We want to have somebody define the plan. You'll be buying on the dips. And that, if you're buying at a regular pace over a very long period of time, um, it's kind of going to come out in the wash, is the way I see it. So um, just not to be fearful when, you're, when things are going down, to feel confident that you have a predetermined plan to stick with.
0: And that goes back to time in versus timing. But that said, every time we get one of these sell-offs, financial crisis uh, and the uh, coronavirus here recently are, are a couple of examples where I've actually had multiple clients and, and I, I have three categories of clients. I have those that pretty well understand what the plan is and good times and bad, they're, you know, as long as we keep in touch, they're, they're, they're pretty comfortable with what's going on. But I have those that, when the market is down and they can't stand it any longer, they call and they want to sell everything. I literally have to talk them off the ledge. Those are my buy indicator clients. When they, when I get the, the those, you know, two or three phone calls, those are the ones where I'm like, yeah, this is probably, you know, it's getting to where you know nobody can really stand it, and. Uh, uh, that That's usually actually a contra indicator or a negative indicator about what, what you should be doing in, in that environment. And I'll handhold them or I'll tease with them. I said, Oh, I'll see the caller ID and I'll be like, I'll pick up the phone and I'll say, What you want to buy? And they'll laugh a little bit and they have some humor in the moment. Then I have a one or two other clients who, man, they love a good crisis. And we have you know, some success stories where. During the financial crisis, uh, this particular investor wanted to buy Bank of America, but wanted to get a big position in Bank of America right in the throes of a, of a financial crisis. And I said, you know, realize you're taking the risk. You could lose it all. You, th- this is a side bet that you're making. And yeah, 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 he, he was fine with that. And literally the next day, Warren Buffett came out and was, you know, establishing his $5 billion you know, credit facility for Bank of America, and that that one worked out beautifully. And this same person came in and and bought Uber and uh, Boeing right at the bottom, and and just made some phenomenal returns out of this crisis. But I will tell you, it is few and far between that you can have the presence of mind to really take advantage of those opportunities. It's usually just the opposite. People are really panicking and uh, you know become fearful when when the market sells off in a big way and those are the best opportunities but if you're dollar cost averaging as as Carrie said it puts a discipline to this you don't have to pick the bottoms you don't have to you know sell out at the tops take the long view use your rule of 72 and just let the process work itself out so i see far more people make mistakes than truly take advantage of Of dips. And just because there's a dip does not mean it's time to buy. You've got to do your technical analysis, look at valuations, look at prospects for the company. So there's way more to it than the market's off its highs. So therefore we should buy because as this coronavirus hit, the dips kept getting deeper and deeper. And so the people who were very early on calling and say, oh, yeah, use that cash, buy it, we put that cash to work, the deals kept getting better and better for, for quite a while. So if you don't have the stomach to write it out, have a discipline, dollar cost average, and uh, don't get
1: cute. Lots of great principles packed into this episode, that is for sure. And so what are some parting thoughts for people to think about? I know on episode number two of this series, we're going to dive a little bit more into the distribution side. We've been focusing mostly on the accumulation portion of these different investing rules of thumb. Any final thoughts or uh, parting words of wisdom we can kind of hold on to before that next episode?
2: I had a thought, Walter, I'm glad you asked that question because going back to the beginning of this segment, where where these rules of thumb are intended to uh, minimize emotions, you know, in the short term in investing, I want to emphasize that the emotion that we do want to emphasize is happiness here. So these rules of thumb are meant to kind of cool the panic type of emotion in the short and intermediate term so that overall down into the long term, we're looking at peace of mind and happiness. So I want to make sure that people don't think that these rules of thumb are meant to have us be these stoic individuals following these rules of thumb, that um, these are meant to have a a positive outcome, but they do require discipline and uh, that's what we're trying to break them down so that they're easier to stick with, I think.
0: Yeah, and and anyone who is saving, looking to accumulate for retirement, or you're trying to plan for a college or wedding or future expense, all of these rules apply. And it's just a matter of breaking it down, doing the math, defining the goal. And I had a really good conversation with my middle daughter. Uh, We happened to be sitting on the porch this past weekend, and she was talking about college goals and getting into a college. Not not so much a financial goal, although that's a financial goal for me. but. We looked up what it took to get into some different colleges. And I said, now, here's, here's what you're aiming at. And I said, and here's why you need to aim at this. I said, if you don't know what you're aiming at, then it doesn't really matter what you do because you're just going to end up somewhere you know, by accident. And that's, that's not what we want. We want to know what we're trying to achieve, what we want to hit. And if you aim properly, then you can work backwards and say, you know, what, what's missing, what needs to be done, and you can put those, those pieces in, in place and, and actually increase your chance of, of having that success and the, uh, the happiness and the peace of mind that Carrie talked about.
1: Well, if anybody has questions, if you're listening to today's show and you want to learn a little bit more about what it means to buy on the dips and the proper analysis that goes into that and how uh, Brian Doe and his team can help you look at those situations. Or maybe it's about your emergency fund. Do you have enough set aside in relation to the rest of your financial plan? Need some help taking a look at that or understanding the rule of 72 or anything as it relates to or comes to your finances and retirement don't hesitate to reach out. In fact, you can schedule a time to talk with Brian and go through a virtual meeting to discuss your financial plan and your situation by visiting calendly.com b BDOE, B-D-O-E, calendly.com slash And we'll put a link to that in the description and show notes of today's episode. So it's easy for you to find that link. That's how you can schedule a time to meet online. You can also sign up for a course and learn a lot about the financial world and about retirement uh, by signing up for our course online at lakecountryretirement.com. That's lakecountryretirement.com. You'll learn how to insulate your plan from market declines like we've seen with the coronavirus as just one great example and learn how to avoid other common financial and retirement mistakes and how to best prepare for your financial future. Brian, I know this is something that you and your team have put a lot of time into creating that course and that online resource for folks to be able to tap into and uh, learn and and get more information. It's something you're going to be adding to over time as well and create, making it more and more robust. I'm looking forward to this.
0: Yeah. We've been doing analog presentations for gosh, eight or nine years heavily, and really I've done presentations for for all 20 years of my career, but the coronavirus has actually accelerated the demand for and the move to virtual. If we have to do social distancing, we can't get together for a big pizza party seminar for a while. So I thought what I could do to help people out in this time is take some of the material, put it online in a course format, and that way you can Get the wisdom remotely, and you you don't have to uh, you know make the mistakes or suffer through uh, this period without uh, at least some helpful way of, of approaching it, and and whether you need to recover or you need to just have affirmation of what you're doing, this course will will grow. What's there now, obviously, is just a pretty base amount, but this was the impetus for us to get it going. But it will grow, and it will become basically an 11 critical years masterclass on all of the uh, topics surrounding retirement, Social Security claiming, Medicare, long-term care, IRA distributions, pension claiming, taxes. And, uh, yeah, it should be a great thing.
1: It's at lakecountryretirement.com. And, again, we'll put a link in the description and show notes of today's show. But lakecountryretirement.com. There's an intro video of Brian where you can learn a little bit more about what's going to be on the course, and you can learn how to insulate your income from market declines with this virtual seminar. All you need is your name and an email address to get started, and best part, it is a free class to take. So go ahead and check it out, lakecountryretirement.com. For Brian Doe and, of course, Carrie Debs, I'm Walter Storholt. Thanks for taking the time to join us on today's podcast. Come back and join us for part two of our Rules of Thumb conversation, where we'll focus on the distributors the distribution phase of this whole financial planning realm and uh, as we get into to retirement uh, a little tidbit and preview for you withdrawal rates social security asset allocation just a couple of things that we'll be touching on in the next episode so come back and join us for that until then thanks for joining us and we'll talk to you soon on make the dough rise
2: Make the dough Rise is brought to you by Living Worth Wealth Advisors with a central office in Greensboro, Georgia, but serving the Lake Country and beyond. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all your favorite podcasting apps. Subscribe today and never miss an episode. Just search for Make the Dough Rise with Brian Doe. You can also visit makethedowrise.com to listen to recent episodes. If you'd like to contact the show or schedule a complimentary financial review with Brian and the team, just go to makethedowrise.com and get in touch through the website or call 706-451-9800. Thanks for listening to Make the Dough Rise.
1: Investment advisory service is offered through Main Street Financial Solutions, LLC. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed.